Welcome to the Jesus Image Podcast. I pray, Lord, that tonight, as my life was changed in this room 33 years ago, that you would mark lives to that degree. I mean, tangibly touch the staff, touch me, touch the visitors, touch the students, touch the church, touch preachers tonight, touch those watching on television. May the power of the Holy Spirit flow through those cameras, through those screens, and touch people, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. When the Lord, if, if you want to take notes tonight, it's probably, if you have the capability, great. If you don't have, uh, I don't want you on your phone, though, if you don't need to be. Uh, I saw a clip of a young preacher today that I love. I actually really do love him and believe God's really going to use him. He's, I think, in his teens. He's a child of a dear friend of mine. And he took the platform holding his phone. He had all the Gen Z gear on, you know. Everything was baggy. <laughs> he, had, he had permed his hair and got a fade and had that whole look. It's like a AC Slater with a fade. And, uh, but I believe God's hand is on him. I know his heart, he's burning. But he took the platform onto his phone and I thought in my heart, oh, I pray someone, you can have the perm and the get up, but would someone take the platform with a Bible? Because it actually says something, it speaks something. It's, it says I'm gonna study the scriptures without the opportunity for distraction. And it's only in stillness that we know the Lord. The whole world is after your stillness. The whole world is after your thoughts. You never underestimate the power of thinking about Jesus. You go down that road, you may never recover. You start thinking about him a lot, that'll lead you to some beautiful places you actually become addicted. You won't, uh, you'll be so filled and satisfied that the world will look uh, as putrid as it really is. I hate to be so direct, but it's the fact. I learned early on that the Lord was jealous of my thoughts in the most loving way. That, he actually wanted me to think about him because I have the freedom to think about anything. Why wouldn't he want me to think about him? Typically, uh, when you begin thinking about him, especially if you do it with scripture, those thoughts find their way into the heart life and what begins as a romantic pull, remember the scripture says that he draws us with cords of love. 
what begins with that pull, that cord-like pull of love, it, it, it begins to result in a burning heart. And that's where you get caught up and disconnected in the most healthy way from the pull of this world. So I'm going to use some scripture today and then we're going to pray because I think the Lord is going to individually call many of you into a depth in his power and presence that you have not known. Some of you for the first time and some of you for the tenth. But to be honest, if you track the lives of great people, they can usually point to five or less encounters in their life that really marked them. I mean the life-changing ones, the life-altering moments in his presence that you can't conjure up, you know, even as a worship community or a pastor or regardless of your calling, trying to make that happen is impossible. You can position yourself, however, through consistency in a, a heart that is staring for those moments where Jesus comes passing by. So the unprepared actually miss those moments and they chalk it up to believing that maybe God just never wanted to touch them. But they really weren't touchable. The other person's been waiting and preparing through courage, you know. Courage tells you to position yourself again. Does this make sense? When the enemy discourages you, he's removing courage to come back to your post, to come back again. You look back at those moments where you didn't think he touched you, but you look back over 10 years and you go, oh, wow, now I see the story. In his mercy, the Lord doesn't give us the fullness of what he wants to give us in the moment because we just can't carry it. And prior to those life-altering moments, he prepares us. Well, I believe some of you have been uh, in preparation and that the Lord is going to unlock something tonight. I believe that. Never preach that. This way here. But we are on... Um, the winds have shifted. You know, they've shifted for us as a community and I have good news. Uh, they've shifted over our nation. God is moving. God is moving. And I think he's wondering if we would be the people who he would let or who would let him do in them what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, in the order he wants to do it, prior to just launching us into what we think he should do with us. 
but actually allowing him to make us who he wants us to be. Is this, uh, is it, am I making any sense or am I just, okay. <laughs> I would fully understand if what I'm saying doesn't make sense. You'd have to be in the spirit to understand what I'm saying. And many have been launched out. Many have caught grace, caught giftings from being around the right people, not gone about things the right way. And God has to start over with the next generation. They saw a breakthrough, they saw crowds, maybe they saw big churches or stadiums or miracles, yet the background culture of what they do, the way they live, isn't reflecting the holiness of Jesus. And so rather than uproot them until the end of the age, like the scripture said, knowing that if he uproots everything, it destroys even the good crops around them, rather than uproot them, he, he, he waits on another people to arise and emerge like, like Samuel. And so why don't you turn to first Samuel? Um, here's why I'm going here. You're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 2. We'll start in verse 17. I'll just mark that before we go there. When the Lord begins to come to a people and then begin to move geographically or use a people. The Lord isn't so much about possessing soil as he is a people. When he begins to do that, the stakes become higher. Let me say that one, one more time. When the Lord comes near and the hour is urgent and he begins to move in an unusual way, the stakes become higher regarding our decisions. All right? So, I mean, example. Uh, is Judas the first one to steal money? No. Is he the first one to, to betray the work of God. No, just read the Old Testament, my word. Just read the history of the kings. A couple got it right after hundreds of years of rule. Not the first one. Is, is, is Moses the first one to get something wrong regarding the details of God's commandments? No, he's not. Why such a swift judgment on Moses? 
because God came close. And Moses orders uh, through impatience, which symbolizes the work of the flesh, I don't want to go down a rabbit trail, but I'm going to, we'll call it a goat trail. Uh, No, that's bad. Goats are bad. Uh, Goats are bad. We don't want to go down the goat trail. We'll call it the lamb trail. (laughs) No. (laughs) No goat trails for us. But people have often said, you when you preach on death to self, aren't you crippling the passion in a people who want to be used of God? And my response is I would never want to cripple the passion of somebody who wants to go out in the mission field or plant a church. And That's not my heart at all. My heart is to see them launched properly according to what the scriptures teach, which requires a process In certain ministry settings, the act of the go is the ultimate. The only issue with that is Judas went. Saul went. Balaam went. Now we are commanded to go. It's not a recommendation, right? But when you make the go more glorious than his presence, you no longer go because you're married. You go because you need an itch fixed, which is idolatry. Those who go are supposed to destroy idolatry. If you go that way, you're going with an idolatrous heart. It's to make it about you. Now the The trap is that God uses you when you go with the wrong motive, and he does, because he honors his word in the gospel. And the trap is to believe that because he's endorsing his word, that he is endorsing my intentions. And he's not. I had a talk with with Tucker today in the back, he didn't do anything dumb, right? He wasn't in trouble or anything. We were just hanging out. He didn't. I was eating, I think. Did you eat too? You had some, yeah. So I was telling him, and Steph was there. I was telling him that the devil targets worship leaders because he was one. He was one. And then it's interesting to me that the scripture says he's the anointed cherub that covered, so he had a front row seat to the activity of the throne room. It's very interesting to me that he was constructed of musical instruments and literally his ministry was in the throne room. In other words, worship is appreciated and deeply valued in heaven's throne room. That being said, the devil is aware of that. He's aware of what worship provides He's aware of the power of worship in the end time harvest. Do you think it's a mistake that Billy Graham had amazing worship? 
that Catherine Kuhlman had amazing worship, that Pastor Benny had amazing worship, that Sister Amy had amazing worship. This house in the 80s and 90s was a house of worship. The Crusades were 99% saved people who were not sick. What drew them? The presence of the Lord. How he responds to worship. In the midst of our imperfections, the Lord responds to a people who worship him. I'm not saying a people that sing to him. They're, two, they're not one and the same. Worship begins in the heart and flows out of the mouth. However, the Lord targets people who are gifted in leading the Lord's people in communal praise. To us, it makes no sense that people singing can give God space to deliver somebody from a devil. If we had to create a way by which people could be set free of demons, none of us, I must... Take the Lord's word out of the equation. If we had to come up with a method, none of us would say, just sing him out. (laughs) Right? Uh, Here's little David having to go play his instrument over a king named Saul who had devils. And his instrumental ministry eases the demonic torment over Saul. These are the ways of God. They will never make sense to us if we were the originator of these strategies. That being said, I told Tucker, I said, when people have an anointing, when people have a gifting, they become a target of the devil. The good news is, if they're in love with Jesus, they're also God's target to protect. If they're not in love with Jesus... They get smoked every time. Every single time they get taken right off the scene. Every time. Every time there's compromise. Every time there's mixture. Every time their theology changes. Every time. Every time they start a podcast. That takes two years. It's just a method. It's, 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 it's a slippery slope. It's been happening for generations. It's not new. Every time they want to change what the scriptures have been te- teaching us, what the fathers of the church stood on and died for, every time people go for it. I don't know. It's just amazing to me how the Lord targets people who minister, how the enemy targets people who minister to Jesus. So right now as the Lord's moving, listen carefully. I'm watching people sell out at the last minute. I'm watching it. People who come to me for advice. I'm not not saying I keep an eye on people. If they don't come to me, I really have no business. But if they come to me for advice, I lovingly give it I don't give my advice. I give them scripture. <laughs> I, I, I'm learning that my advice really isn't as good as scripture. Steph said in the back, or did she say it here? No. Maybe she did, but I don't know if it was on the platform. Wasn't this morning powerful, by the way? 
She said, you just can't do better than writing, oh, she said it out here, than writing songs with the word of God in them. And I give them scriptural advice the best I can. A few actually take it. Most do not, especially when it comes to uh, church planting or worship. I are choosing another way, a fast track to what they deem to be successful. And, and this is the wild thing. It's so incredible to me. Most of the people who listen to worship they're not listening with the heart. They're listening on the treadmill. <laughs> they're cleaning their house. I, I dance for y'all, but then y'all be like, Pastor, you're still backslidden. What are you doing? What are you doing? So there, a few people say, I'm gonna choose worship that pulls me back to the burning bush. That's why I listen and we sing a lot of the same stuff because it causes remembrance to be birthed in us. So in the worship or church uh, environment or in evangelism or missions, we're taking worldly metrics and using them to define what God likes. Now, God can bless with number, but that is not necessarily the approval stamp of the Spirit, His glory and presence is. And to listen carefully, to get to the glory, you must be processed by God. To be entrusted to host His precious, holy presence. There are simply no shortcuts. And what I've seen is, I've, I've, I've walked with some leaders and I've, they said, can you give me your thoughts? And they'll get right to the edge of a, of a breaking in of the tangible presence of Jesus. And like clockwork, somebody dangles a shiny object in front of them. Here you go. This will get you there quicker. And more people will know about you more quickly. And after all, if more people can know about you more quickly, you can use that for God. So just abort this journey that's taking you two years, five years, ten years. Abort the journey because I have a great opportunity for you. And so it was a clean well. Am I speaking to anybody tonight? 
What was a clean, pure well now merges with a well that has mixture. And once the mixture sets in, friend, there's really only one way to remove it. That's to empty it all out and start over. Do not abort God's process in time. It is for your own good, not just his. It is for your own good. I remember when we pastored that little church in California. Imagine, 30 to 70 people every week. Big week was 70. I said, Lord, I'll never forget, I walked into the pulpit. Lord, I, I came in from the left, went up to the pulpit. Empty, empty, empty. 80% empty. People just stare at me the whole time. Preacher guts up. You know? Hey, can you help us tomorrow? Can you set up chairs for 50 bucks? I'm not joking. People would say that. Oh, well, you want $50 to set up chairs. You are in love with Jesus. Wow. God bless you. And I said to the Lord, Lord, what's going on? I'll never forget it. Walking straight to the pulpit. He said, if you were ready for more, you would have more. This is my goodness. Why, why does the scripture say that Judas, regarding Judas, that it would be better that he were not born? Are you hearing that statement? And the wild part about it is people actually preach that Judas is in heaven because he was sorry. Oh yeah, that's a teaching too, yeah. Super solid. Super powerful. I mean, if Judas is in heaven, shoot, I can do whatever that I want, you know? It's great news for the backslider. Judas, wow. No, it doesn't say he repented. It said he was sorrowful. Big difference. See, when you minimize repentance to your feelings, that's not repentance. Feeling bad about our sin is not repentance. That's part of repentance. It's like one-tenth. Godly sorrow. But the difference between Judas and Peter is that Peter came running back to Jesus and allowed Jesus to restore him and actually lived out a life of repentance that culminated by dying upside down on a cross. That's when the repentance ended for Peter. You'd never come to the end of repentance until you breathe your last. Repentance is the lifestyle of the redeemed. Does this make sense? And so much so that the Lord announces Peter's death at the end of John's gospel when he restores him. He says, Peter, one day you're going to go where you don't want to go. 
And people are going to do things to you, basically, that you don't want them to do. And John writes, this he spoke, signifying the death Peter would die. That was Peter's calling. His calling was to die. Paul's calling was to suffer much for the gospel. (laughs) When the Lord speaks to Ananias about Paul, who was Saul, the Lord tells Ananias, I'm sending a guy named Saul to you. I just appeared to him, basically. I'm sending him to you. Ananias goes, uh, he literally says this, "Uh, Lord, you don't know who he really is. <laughs> I love it when we try to help the Lord. Lord, you, you must not be looking his direction lately. You must be dealing with someone else. Clearly, you've got a lot going on, Lord. I just don't think you've been informed regarding this guy. He persecutes the church. If we could, uh, while I'm preaching, just, if you can, please take your seats. Yeah. So the Lord responds to Ananias and says, actually, I have called him to suffer much for my sake. Paul's calling was to suffer, to know Jesus. That's what he said, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed unto his death, if by any means I might attain the resurrection of the dead. Being conformed to the death of Jesus was a matter of eternal life for Paul. The resurrection was connected to Paul dying daily to his own life and will. So, Judas is judged harshly. And the scripture says it had been better that he were not born Can you imagine what that even means? Why, though? As I said earlier, he's not the first one to sell out the Lord. Why? Because the Lord brought him close. The closer you get, the higher the stakes. I can go on and on. Moses, as I said earlier, strikes the rock twice. He's only supposed to strike it once because Jesus was only stricken once. He died once and for all. And when he struck it twice, outside the Lord's command, it didn't line up with the gospel narrative. And the Lord actually gives the reason why he tells Moses, you don't get to come in. Now, that might sound like a little deal for you, but if you labored for something for 40 years, 40 years, and found such a place of fellowship with the Lord that you prayed for the people who drove you crazy and made your life a living hell and who wanted to kill you, it was Moses who begged the Lord not to kill them. That's when, you've no, that's when you know godliness is setting in. God says, you know what? He literally says this. I'm going to kill them now. (laughs) They went too far with you. They have dishonored you and the ministry I've given you. 
They've dishonored my work ultimately, so here's what I'd like to do, Moses. I'm going to kill them. <laughs> You're like, I don't know that, Lord. Sorry, I don't know what to say. Uh, he's right there. He's right there in the Word. So he says, I'm going to kill them. And you know what? You know who I'm going to start over with? You. Now, to those who are on a vengeance campaign because they've been genuinely done wrong, they'd go, great idea, Lord. You're going to start over with some amazing stock. This gene pool is phenomenal, Lord. I am the guy. So rather than them being called the children of Israel, maybe they can be called the children of Moses. And I think it's a great idea that you start over with me. If it's just me and you, Lord, I won't have any problems. It sounds like leadership. <laughs> this is so true. I asked Paul Teske, why are you retiring, Rev? He goes, Michael, I'm not retiring. You never retire from the ministry, but I'm leaving Connecticut to go to Dallas. And I said, but why? Why, why, why are you stepping away from the church? He's like, people wear you out. It's like, I'm 71. I need a break. Moses, Moses doesn't get called until he's 80. So, you know, everyone's in, in line here. I mean, my word. So he gets called and he serves faithfully for 40 years and the Lord wants to kill all those who are opposing his command through Moses and start over with Moses. But Moses has been in the presence of God so long, listen, that he's more concerned about God's reputation than his own comfort. So when the Lord says, I'm going to kill them, Moses goes, what would the heathen think of you? That's a heart after, after the Lord. That's why Paul writes in a disagreement, better to just be cheated than to take what is holy before the world. That's why some of these perspectives that the church releases on social media against other people is so immature because it's placing the desire to be right above the wellness of the reputation of the Lord Jesus, the bridegroom, before a world that already hates him. It's also a sign of the lack of awareness regarding the judgment to come. Because if there's a judgment to come, you and I don't get to be judges. The early church, there was an early church writing called the, the Vivaki, uh, written by the Apostolic Fathers, given to the early church. And in one of the portions they say, fast for your enemies, pray for your enemies. Both, fast for those who persecute you. When's the last time you did that? Fast for them. Pray for them. And then at the end of, of that, that section it says, and have no enemies. The quickest route 
to being free in your own heart toward people you think are your enemy is to have no enemies. Just don't have them. Have people you pray for. It'll change everything. All right, now. Let's look at First Samuel. Then we'll start praying for you. Let's jump forward to chapter three. If I did chapter two, it'd be too much reading. Now the boy, this is verse one, now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And there was no widespread revelation. In other words, the Lord wasn't trusting anyone uh, to speak to. But I want you to look at verse one. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. Look at verse two now. It came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place when his eyes had begun to grow so dim he could not see. This is also speaking obviously of physical blindness but in the spirit this is all beautifully poetic. Eli found a comfort that was unholy. He's lying down and he begin to lose his, his, begins to lose his vision. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, the Lord called Samuel and he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli. Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Those two are connected, his voice and his person. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. I want you to notice Samuel runs to Eli for what only God can call. Did you hear that? Samuel goes to Eli, but only God can call you. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. 
Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Now the Lord came and, listen to this, and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. The Lord goes on to tell Samuel about the judgment to come on Eli. When the Lord, listen to me. Listen to me carefully. When the Lord comes close, the hungry are called and the compromisers disappear into the shadows. Why was Eli a compromiser? His sons were sinning and he did not stop them. They were getting fat off the offerings of the Lord. They were sleeping with women. And he corrected them verbally, but never removed them from their post. Eli ultimately goes blind. He becomes fat himself and dies by falling over. And his sons are killed in battle. Yet the boy Samuel, through his ministry unto the Lord and his pure heart before the Lord, reintroduces the voice of the Lord to an entire generation. Remember, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. What changed? The ministry of an eight-year-old boy before the Lord. If an eight-year-old boy can seek the Lord, you can seek him too. But this is what I want to get to tonight. Can you just gently help me, Ludi? Just real, real, real soft strings. Uh, just a pad, yeah, real soft. Um, the Lord is coming close right now. And he's looking for those who rebuke the shiny offer and cling to Jesus' robe. He's watching very closely right now. The how really matters when he comes close. So Moses, Moses, uh, strikes the rock twice and the Lord tells him you did not hallow me in the eyes of the people that's the root it wasn't the action now the Lord is getting to the root you cannot go into the promised land because you treated me as common I can't have that Moses wasn't perfect, let's be honest. 
But this thing here, this became the issue, is Moses, you treated me like I'm just a normal person. You should know better because I've been talking to you as a man speaks to his friend. I wonder if you forgot who it actually is that told you to strike the rock once. The reason this is important is because Moses' approach and obedience or lack thereof becomes contagious as a leader. And Moses is allowed to go see the promised land after serving faithfully for 40 years, but he can't go in. At the end of the day, listen carefully, for Moses' own good. It was best for Moses that the Lord bury him. No. Stay with me now. Don't check out right now. I'm telling you, do not check out. I feel that stirring. The Lord sits down at the table. And he knows his time is coming. And he actually calls it glory. He connects the cross in John's gospel to glory and glorifying him. And then in turn his father being glorified. Which I'll teach on at another time. But the cross is glorious. The cross isn't just part of this journey to glory. The, according to John's gospel, the cross is glorious. This naked God-man who's defining God perfectly, dying and bleeding, this is glorious to the Father. So Jesus is there as hours approaching. He's looking for love. He's looking for fellowship. And he says, here's what I want to do. I, me, the Passover lamb, I want to be feasted on. That's how much I want to be loved. I'm, I want to give you a way for us to be one. So I want you to literally consume my body and drink my blood. And we hear this kind of language in Revelation 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens, I will come in and dine with him. There'll be a meal exchange. Me with him. And then he says, and he with me. There'll be this back and forth feasting until there's a nature relay. He takes on our pain. He takes on our suffering. He fellowships with us. We fellowship with his pain and his suffering. We feast upon him through the broken body and blood of Jesus. Yet, Judas is still at the table. What is the doorway? What's the straw that breaks the camel's back regarding Judas's demise? Yeah, I'd been stealing the whole time, of course, but what's the period on the end of that sentence? When does the Lord say, go do what you need to do quickly? When does the scripture say the hour of darkness is approaching? What had happened? Judas sits at the table with the Lord 
Jesus and feasts on the covenant meal improperly. The act looks wonderful to the eye, but the heart is putrid. And the scripture says that the moment Judas dips the bread and eats it, that Satan entered him. Satan entered Judas after the wrong receiving, the wrongful receiving of the holy meal. You can't get much closer proximity-wise to the Lord Jesus than sitting at his table and receiving his body and blood. And because he betrays him after such a moment, because he betrays him in the garden that is his secret place of prayer, the judgment is furious. It's swift. It's dark. It's so uh, massive that the Lord says it'd be better that he were never born. The scripture says, I should say. Proximity. David asks for a census. For no reason. He just wanted to know how big his ministry was. I can't tell you how many times I'm on a golf course and another pastor goes, how big is your church? I go, I don't know. How many do y'all see? Don't know. How many come every week? Don't know. Don't trust myself to know. How many people came to Jesus whatever? Don't know. I mean, it's good for Carla and them to know. But if I major on that, I've got a problem. Something will set in. You, you can't have the cloud and multitask. You can have a lot, but you can't have him. No more than you can have a good date while scrolling through your phone or thinking about another girl or guy. You cannot, you cannot. It just doesn't work that way, you see. And David says, you know, I, I, I forgot about that pasture. I forgot about cleaning the sheep faithfully. I forgot about being a local pastor and stepping in poop every three minutes. <laughs> Not that I've ever done that. But uh, I forgot about the day where I was just out there doing my job faithfully and an old prophet came my way. Oh, I feel the Lord now. An old prophet came my way and looked beyond my brother's physical qualifications. Looked at all of them. Nope, not you, not you, not you, not you, not you. Do you have any other kids? Yeah, we've got one. That I'm embarrassed to even bring your way because he's just out there with a harp doing his job faithfully under the night sky. Hidden. You write Psalm 91 because you know what it's like to be hidden. That old man, Samuel, comes and pours oil on him and says, you'll be king of Israel. Unearned. Swept him off his feet. Here came the call of God like a tidal wave. Unsolicited. Just a young, humble boy. David forgot about it. And the moment came where he wanted to see his own stat sheet. How big is this thing? In other words, what have I built? What have I constructed? And the scripture says, because God wanted to judge Israel, listen, he allowed the tempter, Satan himself, 
to tempt David to count Israel. It was judgment. So Satan comes, tempts David. David does it, and the Lord moves swiftly. Does he not? A plague hits. At another time, David sleeps with Bathsheba. Do you think that's the first time a king slept with someone in an adulterous manner? And David loses a child. Why? Why does he lose a child? Because David and Jesus were very close. If you write Psalm 22, you know the Lord. If the Son of God sits on David's throne, you've gotten to be pretty close. If you can write Psalm 23, if you can write Psalm 88, darkness is my only friend. If you can write Psalm 69, I looked for comforters and there were none to be found. You are, you are close. If you get to build the tabernacle, David's tent without the partitions, if you get to get a glimpse into another day called the new covenant before anyone else, you're close with the Lord. But if you forget him, and dishonor him, the judgment is swift. That's the day we're in. Not to scare you, but to scare you, yeah. Because God's moving now in mighty ways. So here's what's going to happen in this hour. He's going to start falling on the unlikely little shepherd boys and shepherd girls and bypass the ones who seem to have it all together but have lost that hungry heart. A bunch of people are going to ride the bench who were on the field and a new breed of, according to the flesh, unqualified, hungry hearts are about to emerge from an oily river. You ever see that Navy SEALs commercial with that, 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 that ad where that, that SEAL comes up out of the water, he's got his gear on? Have you seen that one? Yeah. That's what's going to happen. These oily ones who've been bathing like Esther they're about to emerge from the bath and the king is calling them into his court. I know it. I can feel it. I can feel it like I felt it as a boy. I feel it like I felt it in 2003 when I started traveling with Pastor Benny. I feel it like I felt it in 2006 when I met the sisters. I feel it like I felt it in October 23rd, 2007 when the Lord touched me at Pastor Paul Teske's church. I feel it like I felt it in 2018 when we started the school I feel just like I felt when we started the services I'm telling you I feel it once again the winds have shifted time to spread your sail spread your sail mend your nets if you enjoyed this podcast you can like and subscribe to help us continue to reach people around the world with the gospel give today at jesusimage.tv forward slash give. You can also join us in person or online every Sunday at Jesus Image Church. For more information on Jesus Image, events, 
Jesus School and resources, visit JesusImage.tv.